Welcome to the Brinkman Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Brinkman Adventures, the audio drama about missionaries and about the life of the Brinkman family based on the life of the Boltman family. And uh, I'm your host, Eric Schilder. And I'm Sarah Boltman. And this is episode 19 of the podcast. And so last last episode, episode 18, we were talking about uh, the episode Lying Dinos, which was from season five. I think it was the second episode of that series. And uh, it's where the, the Brinkmans go on an adventure. They go on a dinosaur dig out mm-hmm. in Montana. Right. Which... Is, which really happened. Which really happened, and mm-hmm. there was really a storm. And yeah. we talked a little bit of, in the last episode about sort of the the storm and, and what happened there. And so we won't go through all that again. What mm-hmm. we want to concentrate, I think, a little bit on is is kind of the museum and the dinosaurs and, right. and all and that kind of stuff. Right, and what's going on there? What's happening in that place? What are they finding? Yeah, we're going to concentrate yeah. more on the dinosaurs, less on the Brinkmans, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and uh, roll a clip from that show. Your dad tells me you've been interested in dinosaurs since you were little. Yeah. I knew all the names when I was like five. <laughs> now, I told your dad that sometimes I take on interns. Next summer, if you'd like to spend some time with us, I think we might just have a spot for you. Wow. Thanks, Mr. Otis. You're welcome. One of my goals with this ministry is to help young Christians like you get real experience in the field. And that's hard to come by nowadays for people like us who don't accept evolution as fact. Hmm. Well, here we are. Carefully dig right there. I I think I hit bone. I bet it's the same rib. Mr. Otis, look at this. Here, let me see. What did you find that? Uh, right there. See that outcropping? Very good. This might be vertebrae. There actually haven't been many full triceratops found. We might really have something here, guys. Uh, Otis, look at the sky. Oh, that's what it looked like last week before the big one hit. Uh, we need to get back. We've got to get it down fast. Kate, get all the air mattresses out. Okay. Ketri, get the little ones inside the van. Ian and Isaac, help me. Yes, yes. Susan, watch out for that table. Ah. Are you okay? <laughs> we go from <laughs> we go from this like, pleasant like walk in the right. in in the badlands, you know, looking at dinosaurs to pretty much disaster and sounded very scary. <laughs> the big storm. So you know, the cool thing is we we I had him on the last episode, and we have him again. That's Josh. Actually, Josh played Ian Boltman, or Ian Brinkman, uh, in in that episode. Thanks for coming back again, Josh. No problem. Hello. And the other character that we had in there, the other main character, was Otis. And we have actually the pleasure of having Otis Klein uh, on the line with us. Uh, welcome, Otis. Hello to you. and Nice to be with you. Thanks for coming back. We, we had you on the last episode, and it was so much fun. Uh, kind of, we didn't get enough. We didn't get enough. <laughs> we just got a small taste. <laughs> we, we need more, you know, we need more science. We need more dinosaurs. And so... You're no longer uh, with them, but you started a museum. Where is that museum located? The museum is located in far eastern Montana, 
It's uh, on Interstate 94, about 30 miles uh, just in to Montana from the North Dakota border, and it's in a town called Glendive. Glendive, Montana. And what's yes. the name? Of, what's the name of the museum? Museum is the Glendive Dinosaur and Fossil Museum. So you were actually the person that began this museum, or yeah, started? that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. When was that? Well, we did that uh, actually. Uh, my wife and I felt a call to um, go into creation ministry full time. And we felt that call in uh, actually uh, uh, 2000, year 2000. And uh, so we did some investigating and, and uh, it turned out that the Lord led us to Glendive, Montana. And we moved there in 2003. We actually started construction of the museum in 2005 and we finished it and opened in May of 2009. Wow, so and that was so, not very long ago. Yes, that's correct. That's wow. correct. And the museum is 20,000 square feet of uh, exhibit space and is actually the second largest dinosaur and fossil museum in the state of Montana. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Now, <laughs> I have to ask, how does one go about starting a museum. Now you acquired property to dig dinosaurs, but which in itself know, is amazing. How do you get land that has dinosaurs on it? That's like yeah, a gold it, mine. That's what I was just going to say. It's like a gold claim. Yeah. Uh, how did you How did you find that land? Well, um, like I said, we felt the burden to do to become involved with creation ministry in uh, early 2000, and I visited uh, some of the ranchers in Glendive in, in the year 2000. And just to get acquainted with them, uh, Glendive is known as an area where dinosaur uh, fossils have been found. In fact, uh, uh, quite a few of them are in other museums around the United States. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, they are presented in the context of evolution. And uh, so, but the the people that are ranchers that have bones on their ranch uh, were just really thrilled with the, the fact that we wanted to do a creation, biblical-based hmm. dinosaur and fossil museum. And so this one ranch family had some acreage that was removed from their uh, the, the, the main part of their ranch, and uh, they made it available to us at a reasonable price. Hmm. And we just felt the, that that was a providential. That was the work of the Lord as well. Did you know and, there were dinosaurs on that property? Yeah, yes, they felt there were. And so I went uh, together with um, one of the ranch uh, families, uh, members, and uh, looked at the property. And I did find enough uh, dinosaur uh, bone pieces. What we're mm-hmm. actually looking for are uh, dinosaur pieces. They're actually called float. And they uh, usually are weathered out. Uh, by wind and rain and snow melt and so on. Hmm. And then they'll uh, drift down to where they come to a stop where it becomes flat because they're coming down from the, the hills. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking for those. If we find enough of that, that indicates that there's a lot more that hasn't yeah. been exposed yet. And that's what has happened. We've been digging on this property since 2003. Are all the bones in the museum like local or did you acquire some from other places, um, or, or they're all dug up local? Well, the, the real bones that are in the museum, and there's a lot of them, those are all local. Okay. And we do have 
two different types of exhibits in the museum. We have the real bones, which are singular bones. Mm -hmm. They're uh, ribs and vertebra and um, perhaps uh, pieces of skull or uh, teeth, just any of the any type of bones you can think of. Um, and they're that way primarily because of the flood again. Uh, these bones have been really put through uh, like a, a cement mixer. Hmm. And uh, they've been all ripped apart. Uh, it's very, very rare to find something that is where the bones are together like it was in life. Right. Now, we have done that. We found uh, several examples of that. And some of those are on display at the museum, too. But the big the main exhibits like a full-size T-Rex or the full-size Triceratops, uh, the uh, Mastodon, uh, Acrocanthosaurus, some of the marine uh, reptiles and so on, those are, are uh, casts. Those are exact copies. You can do research on mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the uh, cast itself. Uh, and these are what most museums display today right. because there, there's only so many original bones. And especially if you have them displayed, uh, you can't do scientific research on them. Mm. Right. So quite often uh, we'll make copies or we'll buy copies of uh, dinosaurs from companies. That's their main job is to sell museum exhibits. And then uh, the copy is on display. It looks like it's uh, real. And then the, the original bones can be studied in a laboratory uh, setting at that, uh, doing it that way. Right. Because, I mean, that's pretty much just like any, any other museum. But I think the That's the correct. neat thing at yeah. at that museum at, is that you, you do actually have the uh, you actually have real bones and you're doing science. Uh, you, yes. you know, it's it's not just a procurement stuff. I mean, hmm. you have a lab. I mean, Josh talked about it that he had to put his <laughs> he had to put his hands in his pockets and not touch anything. Uh, that you actually have a lab. What kind of things go on in in the lab there? What kind of research are you doing? Well, we go ahead and. Uh, restore some of the bones that we uh, excavate. And uh, again, the bones are, are where we find them because of the flood of Noah's day. Right. And the bones have undergone a tremendous amount of stress uh, as they've been moved around by the flood, uh, knocked into boulders and other rocks. Um, uh, and the bones are cracked and sometimes they'll stay together, but they're still cracked. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, when we collect them, we have to take a, uh, what is called a field jacket and put that ar around the bones. It's basically burlap dipped in plaster that uh, just like you were uh, casting a broken arm or a broken leg. And so we'll go ahead and put that around the bone out in the field. We can then take it to the lab and nothing falls apart. Uh, sometimes out in the field we'll find a lot of pieces and we'll collect those and sometimes we can piece those back together into uh, the bone uh, shape that it, it should be. But the, the work of the lab is to preserve and prepare the uh, exhibits, the, the, the bones that we find out in the field. The other thing that we do is uh, we work with other creation ministries. Uh, there's very few creation ministries that have the ability to actually dig dinosaur bones. Right. And uh, primarily because dinosaur bones aren't everywhere. They're in very specific locations in the United States. And so 
these other ministries, uh, we work with them and, uh, and, and do group dinosaur digs for some of the people that uh, support those ministries. But if the ministry wants to do scientific research, then we can supply uh, bones for that research. And this is one of the other things that the museum does is, besides displaying the bones uh, and the fossil exhibits, we also display the scientific evidence that shows that the Bible is true, the earth is young, and evolution with its long ages of millions and billions of years is a lie. And there is a tremendous amount of evidence that supports that, and we are very uh, happy that we are able to actually uh, add to that evidence by uh, providing bones that have soft tissue in them, for example. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Have you found some of those? That's another whole topic, but yes, soft tissue, you don't find soft tissue in something that is 65 million years old. Wow. That just screams that it's young. Yeah, it, it sure does. Now, it, as long as you brought it up, let's let's just dive right into that, which is, you know, you, you're running a creation ministry. You've got a museum that is approaching the evidence and the science from a creationist point of view. Um, and, you know, has that has that caused any flack? I mean, what happens when you get, uh, you know, someone who's coming from an evolutionary paradigm comes to the museum and all of a sudden they see, you know, what does this talk about Adam and Eve and the flood and all this kind of stuff? You know, they understand that it, this was billions and billions of years ago or millions of years ago. And, you know, from every picture I've seen in a textbook, there apparently were a lot of volcanoes. You always see, <laughs> you know, you always see the roaring yeah. T-Rex with the volcano yeah, in the back. True. I've just kind of always wondered about that. But uh, what what happens? How do you kind of deal with that? And how do you think your, your ministry speaks to those uh, folks? Well, uh, just as a teeny aside uh, be, before I get into that, uh, there is quite a bit of volcanic ash mm. that is mixed up uh, in uh, with the sand and the uh, clay that we're digging in. And so, yes, there were a lot of volcanoes. There that you is go. very wow. cool. I learned something today. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I can, I can but, put that and, to and rest. And if you think about it, those volcanoes uh, came about because, in many respects, you had the fountains of the Great Deep right. yeah. being broken up and tremendous stresses on the earth and so not only did you have a huge amount of, of water you also had uh, earthquakes and tidal waves and a lot of that was caused by the uh, volcanic activity so the when God said he was going to destroy all air breathing uh, land animals with the exception of what was in the ark uh, then that's the way he did it I mean everything was drowned and that brought that in the process of doing that, it put tremendous stress on the earth, and some of that is still being felt today. Because mm. uh, if you look at the what's called the Ring of Fire around the Pacific Ocean, uh, uh, both east, west, north, and south, uh, you have a lot of volcanic activity, a lot of earthquake activity. But but going back to the the question that you asked, I didn't mean to. Get too far. No, it was really there. cool. I finally can put that to rest now in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But when we have, we, we were determined at the beginning that we did not want to uh, ambush people. We didn't want to take them by surprise. 
the ones that come to the museum as visitors. And so when you come in to, to uh, pay your admission fee, right, in the, the lobby of the museum, there's a sign right there that says, we are proud to present all of our fossils in the context of biblical history. Hmm. And we point that out to people when they come in verbally as well as uh, uh, some of them actually read it. And one of two things, uh, uh, well, actually one of three things happens. Uh, those that believe the Bible, uh, that believe uh, that uh, Genesis is true, uh, they're all excited uh, because by our name, Glendive Dinosaur and Fossil Museum, you don't know if we're an evolutionary museum or a creation-based right, museum. Exactly. And so they're, they're happy. Uh, those that believe in uh, evolution, uh, there's two, two uh, responses there. Uh, very, very few, but there are some that will say, well, that's not me. I just, I'm not going to waste my money and they'll turn around and leave. Mm. And, you know, that's, uh, we just try to uh, be polite. And, uh, but there are others that will say, well, I don't believe in that, but I want to see what you have done. Mm. And so we have set the, the museum up. So it's basically self-guided if a person wants to do it that way. Uh, although we do have people scattered throughout the museum, volunteers that can explain different aspects of the exhibits. But what we find is that when the people that uh, believe in evolution, uh, believe in those long ages, believe that everything happened by chance, are exposed to the exhibits in the museum, when they leave, and sometimes it's even before they leave, when they're in the museum, they'll say, you know, you have really opened my eyes here. Hmm. I never realized that there was so much evidence for a young earth. There was so much evidence for the complexity of life hmm. that it could never, ever have happened by chance. Hmm. And I'm not going to say that I believe 100% of what you've done here, but I'm certainly going to look it up and I'm going to study this. And you people have opened my eyes that there's another whole world out there that I was totally unaware of. And uh, we just praise the Lord when we hear that. And sometimes there are people that will actually talk with us and we are able, through the Holy Spirit working on them and with them, to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ oh, as cool. not only the Creator, but also their Savior. Well, that is amazing. You know, what, what strikes me is that I think there's this interpretation that, you know, you've got scientists and, you know, the, these are scientists and, you know, they talk about evolution and so forth. And then you have, oh, creation scientists, like it's a kind of a special, like a subclass that's not, they're not real scientists. They, they are scientists. It's the same science. It's the same facts. It's a different outlook and a different conclusion right. different assumptions and, and so yes. uh you know yes. what you, you know you started this museum you know what what do you want to say uh what would you say kind of to the world uh, to to our listeners in particular what what is one thing you'd like to say well i guess the thing that um convinced me initially because i used to be a theistic evolutionist mm -hmm. and that means that I believed that God started it, but he used the process of evolution to bring us to where we are today. And what uh, convinced me that that was 
a tremendous error is what I what we're trying to show people at the museum too and that is that there is far more scientific evidence that shows the earth is young that shows that everything was made after its kind just like it says in the bible mm -hmm. that uh, that one kind can has never and cannot evolve into another kind that shows that life is so complex it could never have happened by chance michael behe uh, coined the phrase or the words irreducibly complex right that uh, there's no such thing as simple life. I mean, right. if, if you look at at, at uh, what a person would say is something simple, like a, a jellyfish, let's say. I mean, it's extremely complex. And uh, uh, there is no way it could have just evolved out of nothing. And the other thing that we want people to see is that man, really uh, natural man, wants to believe that he or she is in control of everything, that um, man is the measure of all things. That's the, actually a definition of humanism. Right. And that therefore, if uh, we, we believe there is no, nothing beyond ourselves, that, that there is really nothing more important than, than ourselves. And when it comes to creation, that we actually put God in a box. We have the, the uh, pride that, that allows us to tell God how he did it. Right. And that is certainly not um, biblical, and it, is, it doesn't support it by the facts. Uh, we are created, and we have to be accountable to our creator. And that is one of the main uh, uh, stumbling blocks that a lot of people that believe in evolution have to go through is right. they have to give up this worldview that says, I am all that there is, and anything that is uh, beyond me is really less than me in terms of it's not human. And uh, uh, I don't have to be accountable to anybody. Yeah, and that's a and huge so, shift because that has huge implications it is, too. From, yeah, it, it, is, yeah. it is actually... Uh, there, there's even uh, a book and written called The War of Worldviews. And you've got the evolutionary worldview and you've got the biblical young earth worldview. And they are totally different. And it does take a major, major change psychologically. But the evidence is there to allow people to make that change. And that's what we want to show people. Right. And you're helping other scientists maybe you know they that have a creation paradigm a young earth paradigm you're mm -hmm. you're helping them they probably don't i mean i i can't imagine that some of the more public funded digs or whatever they don't want necessarily people that coming at it from a creation paradigm that is correct and it's uh we're well aware of the fact that uh if you do have a creation worldview uh, if you're a scientist in particular, your odds of being accepted uh, by uh, an evolutionary uh, dinosaur uh, dig is slim to none. Right. And so where are you going to be able to do research? And that's why I alluded to it earlier when I said that we do work with creation ministries that don't have dinosaur 
uh, bones that don't have fossiliferous uh, soil that people can go and dig those bones, they don't have them available to them. And so they will bring people, uh, their own scientists come to us, and then we are able, we actually ask them, you know, what, what are you looking for? And if they tell us that they want to do uh, soft tissue research, well, then we pretty well have an idea as to which bones would be the best example uh, for soft tissue once the, the uh, preparation on that bone has been done. And so we help the, uh, the scientists. Uh, some of them are even working on PhDs with uh, using bones that have been uh, excavated at uh, our dig site. So uh, our goal is to share, uh, to be a resource to other ministries. We certainly don't want to keep it all to ourselves. Right, right. Now you're you're helping you're helping scientists, but uh, you know my family's very very interested in in mm-hmm. you know digging stuff up. We, we we really like that. Is is there an opportunity for uh, families to come and participate in any of the digs or anything like that? Yes, there certainly Can is. Can you tell us all about and, it? Um, okay. Well, uh, we actually have available to us, besides the uh, land that we own, uh, we also have available to us land uh, on adjoining ranches, where the ranchers have allowed us to go on their property and take people digging. Very cool. So. But what we have half-day digs and all-day digs. And the half-day dig is four hours long. And we recommend a half-day dig for anybody that has uh, children, shall we say, that are um, under the age of uh, 10 years of age. That uh, four hours is, is usually uh, a, great, uh, a great plenty uh, in terms of time for them. We also have all-day digs. And those digs go from 8 in the morning until about 3.30, almost 4 in the afternoon. And we will actually eat uh, lunch uh, on the dig site. And um, this is for individuals, uh, couples, uh, families with children, multi-generational. Sometimes we get grandparents with grandkids. And um, uh, these are are done in the month of June, July, and August. Hmm. And if a person were to go to our website, www.creationtruth.org slash digs, then uh, you'd uh, uh, go ahead and take you right to our dinosaur dig area of our website, and you could uh, make reservations right there. Hmm. Mr. Klein, so when we were there, you were telling us how there was this powder on the, on the fossils and that it stank. Could you tell us about that? Now, uh, describe that again to me. So there was a powder when we were when we were um, digging out the fossils from that one area. Right. Yeah, there was this mm-hmm. the powder on it that like it smelled bad. It smelled like rotten something. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, it, it's interesting in the Hell Creek Formation, the geological Hell Creek Formation. Uh, in fact, this was uh, first publicized by an evolutionary paleontologist in uh, the the first one that found uh, red blood cells in dinosaur bone. And one of the things uh, that she said was uh, one of the outcomes of uh, dinosaurs being uh, fossilized in the Hell Creek Formation is that sometimes the uh, bones 
smell like rotten meat. And that's, I think, is what you're referring yeah. to. There's, uh, there is a, um, as you're digging sometimes, and, and I believe you mentioned in the first uh, uh, episode here, uh, that uh, we use paintbrushes also. Uh, there is like a granular uh, coating uh, on some of these bones. And I actually believe that that is what is left over from some of the skin and muscle tissue. Wow, that's so cool. And so it's one of the reasons why it does smell bad. I just wonder how long it's going to take for people to realize that can't last millions of years. And it's just strange to me that it's just so common. It just it just makes sense. And yet the scientific, scientific community struggles so hard to try to make that <laughs> soft tissue last for millions well, and millions of years. And there's a reason for that. The evolutionary community uh, has one... Uh, item that they will go to the wall for, and that is vast amounts of time. Time is the only thing that is the magic bullet that makes evolution work. Because if you can convince people that this dinosaur is 65 million years old, by just repeating it over and over and over again. And we see this with little children. You know, you ask a, a little child, I'm talking about somebody that's four and five years old, how old are the dinosaurs? Well, dinosaurs are millions of years old. Now, that's what they've been taught. Mm -hmm. And once you're set up to believe that if dinosaurs are 65 million, 100 million, 200 million years old, well, then evolution has the ability to work because we can't conceive of how long that is. But if you tell somebody that no, the earth was created about 6,000 years ago, Noah's flood came about around 4,200 years ago, and so these fossils came from the flood of Noah's day, there's only about 4,200 years, well, anybody could look at that and say, well, there's no time for evolution to work. Right. So. To make the impossible possible, you've got to have vast amounts of time so the evolutionists will never give up on those vast millions of years. And yet the evidence, the actual scientific evidence, points to fossils that in some cases are just several hundred years old out to, uh, say, 6,000 years old because not everything was made into a fossil by the flood of Noah's day. There was death before the flood as well. Right. And, you know, it's it's one of the things that we I think we can point to is if we go back to Scripture, it says in Romans that, you know, none of us has an excuse. We all know the truth, but we choose to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. It's Romans uh, 1, 19 and 20. Yes. Exactly. So. I think that that's that's kind of what's happening. We have to have we have to have a paradigm where we write God out of the equation. And so, um, yeah. you know, I would encourage everyone to look into this. Um, it's it's a it's fascinating. And I just typed up your website here, um, creationtruth.org, and I was just looking at it. And um, it's, it's really neat to see the pictures and to kind of see the museum from that perspective. But I also dialed deeper because I thought to myself, if I wanted to go on one of these digs, how much would it cost? <laughs> because I'm always <laughs> about, you know, kind of thinking if I can do it. Well, I'm, I'm seeing here that a half day is $75 for an adult and $35 yes, for, a, for a 12 and under. That is so reasonable. That's amazing. I was, yes. I was imagining two to $300. So 
I could do this. <laughs> but that's guided. You, you actually will have a guide with you. Wow. That's that will amazing. explain how to dig and will help you with it. That person will also have some of the uh, other tools to uh, help get the fossils out of the ground as well. Wow. Well, that you might just be seeing me. And yeah. it was so fun. Well, good. To go do it. Good. It's really, really fun. <laughs> I, I think I know where our, our family vacation's going on. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Otis, for being on. I, I could probably talk to you for a, a much longer time, but we, we have to wrap this episode up. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Mm-hmm. Well, I've really enjoyed it, and thank you for having me. All right, and blessings. And that's it for this episode of uh, the Brinkman Podcast. If you've got any questions or comments, uh, go to... Uh, thebringmanadventures.com and uh, leave a comment and you can look at all sorts of information. Uh, also, also make sure you, you visit the museum's website too, because uh, that looks pretty cool. And, uh, but we'd love to hear your comments. And uh, if, you, if you listen to the Brinkman Adventures and, and you get a lot out of it, uh, consider um, you know, giving us a, a like on a social media or some, you know, some sort of mention. Tell your friends about it. We uh, really would encourage you to do so. And we also ask for your prayers and support that way. So uh, for episode 19, this is Eric Schilder. All right. Sarah Boltman signing off. <laughs> Till next time. Bye-bye.